Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Uninvited Podcast. This is your host, Jerry. I'm so glad you're here, and however you found me, do me a favor. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss another show, and give us a five-star rating because that feels like love. Four-star rating kind of feels like the friend zone. So here's the thing. We're just going to jump in today, and we're going to see where we wind up. Um, But I've been feeling a certain kind of way about um, a whole whole bunch of stuff going on um, in the news. Um, But but, but before I go there, I just want to send a special shout out to all of my friends on Facebook and Instagram who have taken, literally taken the high road and gone into the mountains. I feel like half of my friends this past week were somewhere in the mountains, whether they were in the Rocky Mountains, whether they were in, at the Grand Canyon, whether they were in the Badlands, wherever they were, y'all were in the mountains. Um, I don't blame you, by the way. I, I think I would take to the mountains too if uh, I wasn't afraid of heights and I liked 109 degree weather. I don't really go for any of those, and so I'm I'm still I'm still here. Um, I think 2020 is the year of of best laid plans just go into the crapper. I mean, we've had to cancel a lot of plans. I actually had plans that were canceled. Um, I had planned on um, starting a podcast that would focus on going to the places that that black people just don't go, like Michelin star restaurants. I was going to hit up Alinea and French Laundry. I had... um, some plans on hitting up Noma in Copenhagen. I was going to surprise the family. We were going to go to London because my friends at work had offered me Pearl Jam concert tickets to the London show. And then I was going to surprise my family with, you know, a trip across the pond. But then COVID hit, Pearl Jam canceled their tour. I didn't end up going. I had, and I had this, I had, I had a, I had a plan. It doesn't, it sound like it was very strategic, this plan I had. Um, either, in either, either case, just like all of you, we had to change course. Um, and so um, instead of a show focused on cataloging my experience of getting to certain places and actually being in certain places and talking to certain people, uh, I now get on every Wednesday and, and Sunday and, and ramble. And, and you all somehow miraculously decide to keep coming back. So I, I, I appreciate you. But plans change. COVID has, has done a number um, on us. And so I guess I'm frustrated. I think frustration is, is, is the term that I, I would use in thinking about six weeks from now when schools are supposed to reopen. Um, look, I, I don't know about you. But I, I, I would give America an F for how we've handled COVID for the past four months. It's been four months since, you know, um, cities started to, to, to lock down. And I haven't seen anything that's happened in the past four months. I've seen no evidence to suggest that we will safely send our kids, our teachers, our school staff, our administrators, back into the building safely. 
And this is not to cast aspersions on the folks who are planning at the school district level. This has everything to do with what we're seeing at the state and county level. The response has been abysmal. And I'm going to say something that a lot of you aren't going to like. This isn't Trump's fault. I need to be very specific. This is not Trump's fault. You may not like how he he tried to get people to inject window cleaner. Uh, you may not like that um, he you know is promoting a drug. You may not like the fact that he contradicts everything that Dr. Burke and Dr. Fauci would say. That's understandable. What I'm talking about, though, the response to COVID at a state and city level is not on the president. Not at all. And if you got, if y'all want to at me, you want to talk about it, you can hit me up in IG and my direct message at, at the Uninvited Podcast and hit me up and we can talk all about it. But this isn't on the president. Right, wrong, or indifferent, most counties started receiving their CARES Act dollars towards the end of April, first week of May. So why is it that, at least in my county, and you know, I, I'm, I'm in Kane City, Missouri, in Jackson County, and in other counties around the metro, the cities are just now getting their money to hire contact tracers, to, to secure testing, to secure PPE. That has nothing to do with Trump. Trump signed a bill into law back in April, folks. It's damn near mid-July. So, I, I listen, there's a lot to complain about with the administration in the federal level. But politics is local, and the response to COVID is local. And cities, counties, and states, I'm just going to say it, I'm trying to keep it clean, have done a piss-poor job. Now, I am not talking about the public health departments. I am not talking about our health systems. I am talking specifically about government. You know, uh, my my friend and colleague, shout out um, to Ryan Mulligan, says the problem that we're having is that instead of moving at the speed of COVID, our elected leaders are moving at the speed of government. And that lack of speed, the lack of recognition, that lack of urgency is literally killing people. Don't put this on the president, folks. I listen. I don't know of I don't know of a bigger critic in my social circle of the president, but I will be damned if we try to pass this off on him when we have folks at the local, county and state level who are just letting things go, who are not making things happen, and we're the ones sending people back in the schools in 6 weeks with no plan no plan for how we deal with the outbreaks when they happen. And can someone now that now if we if we want to come back and start pointing fingers 
at Moscow Mitch and, and the president? Can someone explain to me exactly how we're going to do active shooter drills in schools right now in the COVID era? Can someone explain that to me? How, how does that work exactly? How do, how do we... How do we how do we do social distancing uh, in an active shooter drill? How do we do safe physical distancing when there's an active shooter? When it's not a drill. See, this whole time that schools have been working to figure out the best way to get their teachers, get their students, get all the staff back in the building as safely as possible with little to no resources to do it, while they have been trying to figure that out, the rest of us have been pretty much on the sidelines going, I sure hope they figure it out. I sure hope they're able to do everything that we're asking them to do with little to no resources to do it. Um, and now... We're six weeks away, and we have changed nothing on our end. We're not wearing masks. We aren't respecting each other enough to stay um, physically distant. When you know, if, if, if and, and not wearing, like, listen. The adults in the room. I'm talking to us now. The adults in the room. We uh. We own this. We own all of this. Um, and I, I think it's audacious, to say the least, to um, send their kids back to school. It's not, listen, it is not on school districts to prop up the economy. When, when did public education become the thing that so it's interesting. It, it keeps changing, right? Oh, we, these are our essential workers. We need the essential workers to keep the economy going. Well, now, so now has that changed? Because we weren't talking about teachers then. We were talking first responders and we were talking essential workers. We weren't talking about teachers. But now it's the teachers. It's their responsibility now to save the economy. But how how is that how is that how, how does that even make sense? You mean the teachers who are already spending money several hundred dollars a year on supplies out of their own money because they're currently not funded to have all the materials they need? Are we talking about the same teachers who on top of supporting and feeding their own family? Sometimes if when you talk to a few of them low key will bring extra food because they know they've got kids in their classroom who are hungry. We're put we're saying that the fate of the economy rests on them without our support. That's a listen, I don't I am not gonna cuss on this show. But it's a bunch of BS. And it is not on them to save us. We've had four months outside of the schools to, to get our act together. And we haven't done it. Here's my advice. 
here's my unsolicited advice to teachers and administrators. You will never have more leverage than you have right now to get everything that you need. If I'm looking at this from a negotiation standpoint, you simply tell them, we will have all of these things given to us or we are not opening, period, end of discussion. Period. We're not here to babysit. We are not here to, to uphold the economy. We are here to teach. And it is the society's job to make sure we have every damn thing we need to do it. And if you're now asking us to become public health workers as well, to keep our kids from getting sick and to keep ourselves and our coworkers from getting sick, you're going to pay for that as well. It's either it's an all or nothing proposition. And I get it. Teachers need to work just like the rest of us need to work, right? You're counting on these salaries to take care of yourself and your family. I understand it. But it is patently unfair. And this is where, as parents and as taxpayers, we need to have the backs of our schools and say we refuse to send them back into that building. We refuse to send our kids into that building until you can guarantee their safety. Period. And obviously, the superintendents are doing everything they can within their power and within their resources to do the very best they can. What I am saying is, as the state, as the people, we owe them everything that we can give them to do this right. It's the only way. I Listen, in Kansas City alone, we know that there will be a couple dozen people who will die of COVID with, as things stand right now. And that to me is sickening that we would be willing to sacrifice our babies, our teachers, our cafeteria workers, our janitorial staff, our administrators, that we are willing to sacrifice their lives just so we can go to work. What the hell's wrong with us? It doesn't even, it, it defies, not even logic. It's just, what happened? I want to know, what happened to us? What happened to the people who were applauding and serenading our frontline medical staff? What happened to all of those feel-good commercials thanking essential workers, declaring them to be heroes, which they are. What happened to that? We went from that to, I'm not wearing a mask because I don't want to. So that whole time that you're lifting up first responders, lifting up frontline medical staff, lifting up essential workers, was that never really about them? Was that just us wanting ourselves to feel good? And you're saying that you would rather not, you would rather 
gamble the health and well-being of your kid or someone else's kid, then wear a damn mask. I look. I don't. I, I'm going to be honest. I I wish I could say I don't recognize this America, but I do. Um, I mean, Don Glover, man. This is America. Don't you, you know, this, I mean, this is America. This is, this is who, I guess this is who we are. I, America, I thought, I, I guess, I guess the thing that I'm really upset by, and here, like, if this is your first time, you're like, this dude is just going to keep going and going and going. And yes, that is going to happen. And even if, and, and if you're here for the third or fourth time, you're probably here for it. Um, when did America become about the bare minimum possible? I mean, minimally viable products work great for startups, but minimally viable for public education, minimally viable for public health, minimally viable for public safety, that doesn't work. We're what we're seeing is that these symptom these symptoms these systems are really just built on a on a house of cards, and we don't have the wherewithal. We don't have the. I'm just going to say it. America lacks the guts to do what is necessary in order to defeat COVID. And I guess that's the thing. Like, we often talk about the greatest generation. Greatest generation fought Hitler and won. We defeated the Nazis. I shouldn't say we. I, I wasn't there, obviously. But America, we fought and we won. And... Now, so if that's the greatest generation, we are clearly the most pathetic. We have to own that. If, if the greatest generation is willing to take a bullet for America, and many did, if the greatest generation is willing to, to fight and die for this country, then the most pathetic would refuse to wear masks and send their kids and teachers into buildings that they know are not safe. So congratulations. Now I get it. Now I get why you thought buying a red hat and voting for him would make America great. Because you recognized that perhaps we aren't great. Perhaps we suck so bad that given the choice... To either fight and defeat uh, a virus or to give in to weak political rhetoric, we will choose the weak political rhetoric every time. Maybe you recognize something in yourselves that, that, that I didn't recognize in ourselves. And so to whom, I guess I, I, I kind of owe you guys an apology. Because I was one of those people who were saying, no, no, no. America's always been great. 
Um, and to which, you know, I learned, you know, not learned, but was corrected. Like, well, when was that? I got pushback. When, so when was America great? You start pulling back the onion. You're like, oh, maybe it wasn't. Um, but America, man, I think we've always aspired to be. We aspired to be great. And I, I guess that's the thing that's frustrating with the COVID response is America's given up. America's given up on being great. America has given up on, actually, I don't know, given up the facade, I guess, of caring about each other. This land is your land. This land is my land. This land was made for you and me. I guess now it's just made for me, right? To hell with you. To hell with you. Frontline medical worker, I'm not going to wear a mask. To hell with you, essential worker, nah, I'm not going to wear a mask. Look, I get it. I totally get it, man. It, it Being diligent on, on COVID is, there, there are no, you can't take plays off. Like if, if, if I'm thinking about the Patriot way with Bill Belichick, that the idea is that you have to win and execute on every single play. You cannot let up. I, I had a scare. I had a scare this week. Um, I, I met a colleague for lunch, and uh, which, for one, probably should not have done. Probably should have sat outside. I didn't. Um, kept my mask on until it was time to eat. Took my mask off, ain't, put my mask on, but I got a text that next day that that friend had tested positive. So I violated, I didn't violate quarantine, but like I, I had been sheltering in place pretty regularly, always wearing a mask. I made an exception and it almost cost me. I tested negative, by the way. Um, but I'm still quarantining still. Um, but you can't let up on this. There is no letting up. You either, you either commit to defeating this thing or you don't. And so far America has not committed to defeating COVID, but is willing to sacrifice our kids and our teachers to do so. It's just wrong. It, that's, look, I, I could keep going on that. Um, this is not a feel-good episode at all. Uh, I totally get it if you want to bounce right now. Um, but there is something else I want to talk about. Um, and uh, it's not really at all related, but I guess it kind of is. Harper's Magazine posted... Uh, a letter uh, last week. And the title of the letter is A Letter on Justice in Open Debate. Now, the, the, the folks who, who signed on to the letter are a who's who of 
kind of academic and literary um, luminaries. Um, you know, Solomon Rushdie signed it. Um, J.K. Rowling. Man, J.K. Rowling. Man, I... <laughs> I had no idea that J.K. Rowling had such feelings about uh, people who are trans. Very disappointing. Um, she had signed. Um, Deidre McClowski. Katie Morton. Martin, excuse me. Wynton Marsalis signed. Ann Applebaum signed. Like, there, I, there's a lot of great thinkers and people who are paid and have made a living on exchanging ideas within a certain circle. Um, and cancel culture apparently has caught up with them. And so in the letter, they start out, you know, giving, you know, a nod to, uh, actually, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to read the first sentence. Um, Our cultural institutions are facing a moment of trial. I'm going to read more than one sentence. Uh, powerful protests for racial and social justice are leading to overdue demands for police reform, along with wider calls for greater equality and inclusion across our society, not least in our higher education, journalism, philanthropy, and the arts. But this needed reckoning has also intensified a new set of moral attitudes and political commitments that tend to weaken our norms of open debate and toleration of differences in favor of ideological conformity. This letter basically says, please don't cancel us for all the things that we've said that were kept in this very tight-knit circle of folks who are, are interested in um, ideological exercises, right? Um, and essentially, because of the internet, we have access to all the receipts to people's political opinions, uh, their academic reasoning, scientific reasoning, we're, we're able to, to, to review it. And I don't know about you, but um, I, I feel like my, my, my view on cancel culture is, um, is very uneven. Um, I... I am more likely to want to cancel Costco. Was it what, I, what were they calling him? Costco Kevin, the guy who felt threatened wearing the whatever we've been running things since 1776. Costco Kevin felt threatened as he's shouting down an elderly woman um, with a with a, a camera. I am more inclined to want to cancel those people. Um, in the first episode, I, I had lobbied for essentially canceling that K-State student. For what it's worth, I don't believe that anymore. Um, I, you know, I think in the moment I was really just ticked off that um, it seemed like the university um, was simply just protecting this kid's right to be racist. Um, and I, I, gotta, I gotta be honest, I... I I do believe that people should have the right to be racist. If that's if if they if the, if those are the beliefs they hold, um, they should hold them. Um, but that's not what cancel culture is about. Cancel culture isn't saying you can't believe what you want to believe. I believe cancel culture 
is, hey, there are consequences for what you say and what you do. And the issue that I'm taking with this letter that was um, authored by um, Harper's is that they don't want to be held accountable to people outside of their circle. So because inside the circle, there are no consequences. Inside the circle, you can promote racist ideas, sexist ideas, um, and not be punished for it. In fact, not only not be punished for it, you could be rewarded because you're taking a air quote bold stance on things. And what they're afraid of is that people who are outside of their circle, people who don't subscribe to their norms and their rules are calling BS on some stuff and they're canceling. So, you know, and I'll give a shout out to my friend, Joe, um, who Joe, I'm going to have to have you on the show. Um, at some point, because I, I just thought your views on, on, on cancel culture was fantastic. But he's like, hey, like the thing is, like these folks have trafficked in ideas for decades and have made a living off of promoting these ideas. And that the people are basically saying, look, the, the time for your ideas has come and gone. We're done with that. And if you want to remain relevant, you need to. You really need to to reimagine what your ideas are. Um, and so it's not as much as a, a a canceling of individuals as it is a canceling of ideology. And I, I feel like the danger of 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 what I'm hearing in this letter is is false equivalency. That that if someone has the view that we need to dismantle um, racism in America, and this is how we define racism, that it's equally valid to say, um, I don't believe these policies or these things, for instance, statues. The opposing view would be like, well, Andrew Jackson is a historical figure, and even though we know he was a racist, we believe it's wrong to tear down the statue because we should use it as a learning opportunity. Um, that's not, that's not, that's a false equivalency. If I were to go, if any of you were to go to Germany, um, would you, would you find any statues of, um, of Hitler? Or Himmler, or any of the any of the other well-known um, Nazis. Oh, that's right, you wouldn't. It's not a thing there. And so, to make the argument that the, a statue of Andrew Jackson should be a teachable moment is itself a racist idea. It is, in fact, lifting up the status quo of racism. Now, Part of what their letter would say is like, oh, we should be able to have a reasoned debate about whether or not that's racist. And I think what many of us are saying is, no, 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 we don't need to debate. There's certain things that aren't debatable. Andrew Jackson was a racist. Having a statue of him is also racist. Period. End of discussion. And it is the end of the discussion. 
right? Um, if I, I don't know, I'm 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 just kind of at a loss for words right now. Just except to say, uh, I'm here for cancel culture. And can we just say, cancel culture is not new. Cancel culture has been here as long as America's been here. Uh, cancel culture is um, raping and pillaging a country for its resources. Cancel culture is holding people in bondage, taking them from their land and bringing them to a new land and forcing them to build your economy for you. That is cancel culture. So just because now the masses have an opportunity to call BS on your stuff doesn't mean it should go away. Cancel culture is an accountability culture. And if we are going to be an accountable culture, some people are just going to get canceled. That's just the way it is. Okay? Um, look, I canceled R. Kelly. I don't get Ignition Remix. I canceled Ryan Adams. I canceled Louis C.K. Um, I think we can cancel racist ideas. Okay? Um, I'd love to know what your thoughts are on cancel culture. Hit me up. IG, uh, the uninvited podcast, um, slide into my DMS for that. Um, and we can talk about it. Um, but that's all I wanted to say on, on, on the cancel culture. Um, I want to end on, on, <laughs> I want to end on this. So apparently, apparently, uh, in San Francisco, there is, uh, and this kind of goes back to um, uh, the last uh, last last episode. Um, we talked about Amy Cooper, who's facing charges. Um, San Francisco has introduced the Karen Act. I don't know if you've heard about this. The Karen Act. Caution against racially exploitive non-emergencies. Um Essentially, it would make it illegal for people to make racially biased 911 calls. Um, and I, I, I could just imagine, um, you know, people, it, basically, the warning here is if, if this bothers you, you are probably a Karen or Chad or I, 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 I like calling him Costco Kevin. Um, but I listen, we shouldn't have to have laws in 2020 about this. Um, I welcome it though. Um, but I now I just talked about how I am here for cancel culture. Um, I I'm ready, I'm not ready. Look, can't we're all, we've always had Karen's. Okay, and apparently, I, can I just say, I feel sorry for Karens, actual Karens out there. If you're a Karen and you're not an asshole, I am so sorry that you have to, um, to endure this. Um, but, man, it sucks to be a Karen. It sucks to be a Karen. And so I, I, I am, I am I th but I think I'm ready to cancel, not the people, because I don't give up on people. 
I am ready, however, to give up on all of the websites dedicated to Karens. We get it. There are people out there who just think they're right all the time. But do we need to keep shaming them? Can we just leave Karens alone? Um, and just focus on, focus on, again, focus on the real, the real issue. Um, Karen is a distraction. Um, Roger Stone is a distraction. Look, if you're losing sleep over Roger Stone having a sentence commuted, I don't know what to tell you. Okay. I mean, he, it's Roger. I mean, the guy, what is he? What is he, 75, 76? I'm not losing sleep over Roger Stone, okay? Um, the key was uh, we found him guilty. He, you know, he has paid, a, I don't know, I guess he hasn't actually paid a price. And I guess maybe, maybe no. Maybe I'm not okay. Maybe I'm not okay because he hasn't paid a price. I don't know. I'm just rambling. Look, folks, I, here's what I, here, I, first of all, I made a pledge to you in the first episode. I said each episode will get better each time. And uh, I, 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 I lie. <laughs> what? It didn't get better this time. It did not get better this time. But I, I, I promise you this, that, I mean, this is kind of like, okay, I don't know if any of you are sports fans, okay? Um, but in in football, my favorite sport, uh, in pros, they're, 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 they're the regular season games and their preseason games. And it's, it's acknowledged that the third preseason game is the best of, of the games because that's when you see the starters. You see them for extended periods of time. Um, and because they're not going to at all play in that fourth game because it's the fourth game that guys are essentially getting audition tape available for the other teams. Because if you're still playing in that fourth game, it means the team probably hasn't decided on whether or not they're going to keep you or not, which probably means they're going to cut you and you're really playing for other teams to notice you. But the third game is the best of the preseason games. This feels very much like the fourth preseason game. Um, and I, I want to thank you for, and coincidentally, I would always get free tickets to the fourth game. Like, the, <laughs> it's hard to get a ticket to a Kansas City Chiefs game here. Um, again, I say Kansas City Chiefs. I'm sure that 2020 in 2021 will be the last year that we will ever say that name because that name is going to change because the name has to change. But I would get free tickets to that fourth game because no one wanted to go to that game. So if you're still here, and I would stay to the end of that game. Give us free. Um, but if you stay to the end of this episode, I really do appreciate you. Um, this show is going to keep getting better as long as there are things to talk about. Um... And I, you know, I, I will find, I will find a reason to come on air and share my thoughts on it. Um, but here's to, again, shout out to all of you who are, who are, who are making do 
with 2020. Um, you all stay safe, be well, and I'm going to catch you, uh, I'll catch you on Wednesday on the next episode of Uninvited. Peace.